Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about time management and productivity. This is a favorite topic of mine and frankly based on downloads for episodes when we focus on this topic, you love it too. Folks don't always think about the connection between time management and influence. But I think this week's guest brings a couple of additional dimensions to those topics and to the connection between the two concepts. Laura Vanderkam is a time management and productivity expert. I am a big fan of hers. Her new book, which is out this week, is called Tranquility by Tuesday. There is a link for you in the show notes for this episode, episode 213, where you can purchase the book. Laura's focus is not just on getting more done, although hopefully that will be an added element here. It's also about bringing greater calmness to your life. Wouldn't that be nice? With that, Hopefully, that calmness brings the ability to increase our focus and to devote more mental energy to those topics and those projects that are most important to us and also to those people in our lives who are most important to us as well. It's that approach to calmness that actually enables us to be more present while still getting all the things done that have to happen in a given day or a given week. This isn't magic, of course, but I do think you'll hear some great perspective that might surprise you and that will challenge conventional wisdom about a few time management practices. A couple of other things about Laura before we jump in. Tranquility by Tuesday is her ninth or 10th book, depending upon how you count them. I think all but one of her books have been on time management and productivity or have been parables on the topic. She also produces two regular podcasts, including her daily podcast, which is called Before Breakfast. She is a regular public and corporate speaker. She writes countless articles and blogs on topics of productivity and time management. And by the way, she is also mom to five children who range in age from two 
to 15 and with whom she gets to explore time management and productivity concepts every single day. To say this busy mom gets a lot done in a day is frankly an understatement. This is also Laura's second appearance on She Said, She Said podcast. We first met back in 2020 when I asked Laura to join me on She Said, She Said to talk about work from home strategies with kids. We actually touch on that topic again in part two of this conversation. Now, friend, we cover a lot of ground in this conversation, including the nine core time management concepts in Laura's latest book. Laura also shares suggestions on alternatives to things like planning for the week ahead on Sunday, as well as the two minute rule. Now, if you aren't familiar with these two approaches, stay with us. We're gonna explain them and talk about the alternatives that might actually work better for you. Laura's nine rules are based on her own expertise and study of the topics of time management and productivity, which she has been focused on for the past couple of decades, as well as a very specific set of research questions that she created and explored with research subjects for this latest book. The results are very interesting, and in some cases, they tackle some long-held beliefs that we've always heard about the best ways to manage our time. Now, before we jump in, I wanna share just a couple of additional thoughts about influence related to this conversation. In Laura's case, finding new ways to tackle a topic that is as old as time itself but that continues to evolve just as our society has evolved around work and life. The importance of staying not only current with your expertise, but continuing to challenge yourself to look at accepted beliefs and whether they still make sense. We have more tools today to manage our time than at any point in history. And yet, we seem to feel like we actually have less time. It's an important dimension related to time management and certainly to this discussion. The other point that I would make is around investment. Specifically, how we invest in ourselves. It's a theme that runs through She Said, She Said podcast. If you're a regular listener, you already know that. In this case, strategies that we can learn and invest in that can help us bring our best selves to whatever challenges we face in the world and how some of Laura's approaches can help us build greater career resiliency and also the role that mindset plays in how we think about and manage our time. Now, friend, because my conversation with Laura ran almost an hour and because I'm really sensitive to trying to help you maximize your time, I've split the conversation into two episodes. Episode 213 that you're listening to right now and then episode 214. But rather than posting part two, episode 214 next week, I've actually posted the two episodes back to back. This way, if you have a full hour to listen, you have two great episodes. 
But if you only have about a half hour to listen, these shorter episodes are a little easier to navigate. And based on feedback from a few listeners who didn't like having to wait until next week for part two of a conversation, or they really didn't like the little cliffhanger with Andrea Koppel in episode 210, I thought we'd try it this way to see if this works better for you. So please be sure to let me know. Finally, before we jump into the conversation with Laura, if you are new to She Said, She Said podcast, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Please be sure to follow or subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to this podcast. Each week, I'm bringing fresh perspectives about career and life, and most importantly, how to build and sustain influence. I don't want you to miss a minute, and I promise to do my very best to make sure that the time you spend with me is a good investment in you. And now here is part one of my two-part conversation with time management and productivity expert, Laura Vanderkam. Laura, welcome back to She Said, She Said. Thanks so much for having me back. Well, I'm happy to have you, and I'm really excited to talk to you about this latest book. It's called Tranquility by Tuesday. Why tranquility and how does it relate to this bigger topic of time management? We don't always think about those two things going together. So maybe talk about why this concept. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people feel very much like life is chaotic, like there's things happening all the time, stuff coming up unexpectedly, constant inputs, we're managing work, we're managing families, our various other responsibilities. And in the midst of all of this, people are not necessarily looking to get more done. They are looking to feel like life is calm, like they are happy Mm -hmm. with the way they are spending their time. Um, And so tranquility really gets at that. Um, You know, one of the synonyms is like serenity. and I'd like to think of my my readers as hopefully achieving this calm, this sense of serenity as life is just swirling around them. Because uh, I think a lot of us, we keep telling ourselves like, oh, life will be calmer next week and then I'll be able to do this. Or life will you know, be different next year and then I'll be able to do this. But you know, it's, it's not going to be. <laughs> like, let's just let go of that and try to build the lives we want right now. Yeah, yeah. What you and I were talking about before we started You've been working in the time management field for more than a decade, more like 15, pushing on 20 years at this point, right? And you've done some interesting things over that period of time, but you first got your start by time tracking yourself. Maybe talk a little bit about how you got started in this work. Yeah, well, I was fascinated by the idea of where our time goes. I mean, everybody has the exact same amount of time. Um, So we have a very clear way to compare various people um, and people over time um, and and how we can look at that and see very big societal shifts in terms of how people spent their time. Uh, It's one of those topics that's also fascinating because how people think they spend their time is not necessarily how they actually spend our time. Uh, Because time keeps passing, it is incredibly easy to spend it mindlessly and to tell ourselves stories about where the time goes that are really just about how we wish to see ourselves and are not based on collected data. 
Um, and, yeah. and so I find that gap so fascinating that I was like, well, I've got to study that. Uh, so <laughs> I have had, you know, thousands of people track their time for me over the years. As you mentioned, I've tracked my own time. Um, at this point, I've been tracking time continuously for myself for over seven years, um, which, you know, probably says a lot about me <laughs> that I have done that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just eye opening. I, I don't think anyone has done this exercise and not been like, intrigued to see where the 168 hours in a week in life really goes. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I had people track their time and out of that came, you know, some ideas of how we could maybe spend time better, some best practices I saw from people who were managing very full lives on how they found time mm -hmm. for the things that still brought them joy, even in the midst of all their responsibilities. Yeah, this is book by my count, six of your books on time management. You've written other books, but this is book number six, Probably right? something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's book number six. Um, it, it's so interesting because there are, there's a lot of material in it that I think is, uh, it's different than what you have produced before. And so it's really interesting within this space of time management that you continue to find sort of new epiphanies or new ways of thinking about this material. So I really love that. Let's get into, Laura, the meat of this book. You studied a number of participants, or you, I should say you got several people what, 150 or so to participate in a study? Maybe talk a little bit about the process that you went through, and then we'll get into the meat of the book. Yeah, well, I mean, like like anyone who's trying to offer self-help advice, I mean, I have my ideas about how the light, you know, wor the world works and things that you know you might want to try in your life. Um, but I really don't want to waste anyone's time. And so I wanted to find out for sure if these time management rules that I had, these ideas that I had were truly helpful. So I recruited 150 people to work with me for 10 weeks. Um, we, you know, my research team asked them all sorts of information at the beginning, how they felt about their time. They tracked time for a while. Then over the course of the next nine weeks, they learned nine time management rules. Um, they would get a short essay about that rule. They would answer questions about how they thought about that rule and how they thought it might work in their lives. I would sort of prompt them a couple days later to see how it was going and then, you know, a week later check in, how did it work? You know, did they follow the rule? Um, if they did, what happened? If they didn't, what happened? Um, did it work as they thought it would? How did they feel differently about their time? And then I kept tracking how they felt on various dimensions of, of time and happiness over the course of the study. And so at the end of 10 weeks or so, I could see, like, if you do these nine rules, what happens? And yeah. The short answer is that you feel better about your time. Um, you know, different dimensions uh, between how you feel yesterday or feel in general, it's about 15, 16% um, better about your time overall. Um, certain dimensions were much higher. Like for instance, people uh, said, you know, felt 32% better about, you know, how much time they were wasting. Like they were less likely to waste time on things that were not important to them. So those were all great discoveries. And, uh, you know, my promise to people who read this book is that if you try out these nine rules, you most likely will have similar results. So this is all statistically significant uh, with a you know broad range of people. So I'm very hopeful that you will also feel better about your time and feel like you're wasting less time, even if you don't really have a whole lot of time to waste in the first place. Yeah, yeah. You also talk about in the book, 
um, you know, while this is not a treatment for depression, at the same time, many of these rules, maybe all of these rules when taken together can actually increase your overall happiness. And for some people who are maybe not diagnosed as clinically depressed, but are struggling with being blue or being sad or being motivated, that these things working in tandem can actually help them pull out of that without medication. Yeah, I mean, I certainly am not trying to take the place of, of proper you know, psychological care, mental health care for anyone, but many of these things do, in fact, improve your emotional well-being. Um, just as an example, one of the rules is to move by 3 p.m. every day, uh, just to get a little bit of physical activity before 3 p.m. every single day. And it turns out that people who you know move regularly um, do, in fact, feel better. It's one of the best mood-boosting you know tools we have out there, um, and, and it is, in fact, equivalent for people who do have sort of mild depression um, as you know pharmaceuticals. It's, it's about as you know the equivalent of that in terms of various studies mm -hmm. that have been done. Um, but so building that daily into your life, building in adequate sleep, so giving yourself a bedtime. Most people have to wake up at a certain time. Um, for their various responsibilities, but then they go to bed at a time that doesn't reflect how much sleep they need um, in order to get, you know, to wake up at that time. So, you know, encouraging people like if you find out that you need seven and a half hours of sleep and you need to wake up at 6 a.m., guess what? You need to be in bed at 1030. Like this is not rocket science. But if you do this day after day after day, you feel better about life. You feel more capable of dealing with what life throws at you um, just because you are in a stronger mental state from having taken care of yourself. Yeah, I love that. There's so much that's packed into this book that is, it, it's very consistent with your approach. You are very practical, very straightforward, very realistic about the demands that people have on their times. I should also say too, I mean, for those who don't know you, and I know many of my, my listeners do know you, they're fans like I am, but you're also the mom of five children who range in age from two-ish to like, what, 12, 14, something like that? Yeah, two to 15, I've got quite the range. <laughs> you have quite the range. So you are a busy gal, just in and of itself, and you work full time, you've got two podcasts, you're producing all these books, you're doing a ton of public speaking. You pack a lot into your day, so you know of what you speak, and you also know how important it is to have practical, realistic solutions for people. So I absolutely love that. One of the things that caught my attention right off the bat as I was reading through this latest book, um, one thing that kind of surprised me is this idea, um, it's rule two, to plan on Fridays versus spending that time on Sunday to plan for the week ahead. Laura, talk about why you think there's a real benefit to Friday versus Sunday. Yeah, so I have been planning my weeks on Fridays uh, for years, and I really am a bit of a Friday planning evangelist as a result of, of what I have seen at work in my own life. I mean, if you want to throw the five kids idea out there again, is this is what allows me to manage my life with the work, the five kids, everything else that's going on, and still feel like I'm mostly staying on top of things, not always, but mostly. Um, so I just, first, the Friday planning is like take 20 minutes Friday afternoon, Make yourself a three category priority list for the upcoming week. What is the most important things for you to do in terms of your career, um, in terms of your relationships, and for yourself? Figure out what those things are. Maybe steps towards your larger goals, whatever they are. Figure out when they're going to happen. Put them on your calendar for the upcoming week. Then 
You can look at what is already on your calendar for the upcoming week, various responsibilities you have, what logistics need to happen. Is there any you know, tough spots coming up? Are there things you can get rid of? Um, are there things that you don't wanna do that would you know, can disappear? Um, are there things that can take less time? Are there you know, difficult situations you need to solve? Like a team is meeting late and it looks like the kids camp show will be that day or whatever. You know, there's just a million right. things that, that if you take a little bit of time to look at your week holistically, you can figure out. And so it doesn't take long to do this, but you get a sense of what is on your plate. You get yourself a sense of how you're gonna deal with it. And then you are done. Um, the reason to do it Friday, and ideally sort of Friday afternoon, for one, it's what an economist might call a low opportunity cost time. Most of us are not sitting there on Friday afternoon saying, I am excited to make progress on my personal and professional goals right now. Like we are sliding <laughs> into the weekend at that point, right? Nobody wants to start anything new but you might be willing to think about what future you should be doing. So if it was just gonna be wasting time, like you're sitting around waiting until it's okay to sign off or leave the office or whatever, you may as well repurpose this time um, and, and turn it into, you know, really what will be some of the most productive minutes of the week. The other upside of Friday versus Sunday is that if you need to do something that involves places with business hours, they are probably open on Friday, whereas they will not be on Sunday night. So if you realize you need to make an appointment, you're like, geez, you know, my hair really needs to be cut before this big event that I've got coming up. Well, guess what? You can call the salon on Friday. They may not be open on Sunday evening. So that's something that you can do. Um, or, you know, made to make a doctor's appointment or just a colleague. If you need to reach out and get a meeting on the calendar for the next week, you can't guarantee that your colleague or client or whatever is on email Sunday night and probably they shouldn't be, right? So it's a little bit better <laughs> to reach out to them on Friday, um, which is a respectful business hour time um, and get it uh, on the calendar then. But the last reason, I think this is really kind of the, the, the most important one, is that you know a lot of people start feeling Sunday afternoon like they're already in their Monday morning mental space. Um, and, and some people call it the Sunday night blues or the Sunday scaries. Uh, even people who like their jobs can experience this. And it's not that they dread going to work, it's just that they know there's all this stuff waiting for them and they don't have a plan for how they are going to deal with it. Whereas if you make that plan on Friday, you can go into your weekend feeling good. Like, and then you get to enjoy Sunday and keep that Sunday right. feeling through the end of Sunday, um, as opposed to, you know, taking a big chunk of Sunday to, to plan the upcoming week. Yeah, is do you have tips on maybe how to best utilize some of that Sunday time so that you take the planning you've done on Friday and really kind of start the week off on a strong point because you're not necessarily suggesting that you just plan on Fridays and put it aside and never look at it again until you get to the next week, right? What do you well, what do you do with that planning once it happens? Well, certainly you can look at it and you should look at it every day to you know have it somewhere that you're going to keep looking at what your priority list is for the week and your calendar and all that. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not suggesting that you don't for instance, when you leave work each day, look at what you have the next day, right? So you've got sort right. of a outline of the next day and you figure out what you need to do and anything new that's come up, you're done with it. This is sort of the, the long range planning, right? To figuring out you know, your, your week holistically. But honestly, I don't think you need to do as much Sunday night as people tend to. Like definitely you don't need to lay out your outfits for the week. I mean, I, I prefer if I'm making lunches, I'll either do it in the morning or do it while I'm cooking dinner. Like, so it's time that I'm already in the kitchen. I don't like to turn time that, could have been 
relaxed into getting ready for the week time. I mean, I think we spend a lot of life sort of in preparation of one day for another. <laughs> I'm trying to get people <laughs> out of that habit. Um, but, you know, I, I think what one of the best things you can do on Sunday night is plan something fun, like stretch mm. out your weekend and have a potluck yeah. dinner with friends, go to a Sunday night exercise class, go for a walk with your family, you know, go volunteer somewhere, uh, but do something to stretch out your weekend and so that you're focused on that rather than, you know, what's coming up Monday morning. Yeah. And what you just said relates to one of the other rules about creating these experiences that let us make memories and and why let's talk about why that's important why creating those experiences and those memories is so important as it relates to time yeah so one of my rules is one big adventure one little adventure and this rule is that every week you should plan in at least two things that are out of the ordinary and fun exciting memorable um one big adventure which is something that could just take like three to four hours so think half a weekend day um, and one little adventure. So this could be something that's an hour or less, could fit on a lunch break, could fit on a weekday evening, um, not, not too extensive, but just something little that's out of the ordinary and different. And the reason to plan in these adventures is that they do make life memorable. <clears throat> I mean, so much of adult life is absolutely the same day in and day out. You get up, you get the kids ready, you get them off to school or daycare, you go to work, you know, you come home, you have dinner, you get the kids ready for bed, you watch TV, you go to sleep, you get up, you do it again. There is absolutely nothing in that time that is memorable. And when we don't remember where the time went, it is as if it is gone. Whole years can disappear into these memory sinkholes that are just measured in the changing heights of children. Like, oh, look how much you've grown. It didn't feel like it was three years since I saw you last because the right. three years were exactly the same. Um, and, and so, I mean, it can sound a little depressing that that's adult life, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, if we think back to sort of young adult life, Many people have a lot of memories of, say, high school, college, their first you know, job out of, out of school. And it's because everything was new. You were experiencing things for the first time. You were doing different things. You were trying different things. And you can't recapture that exactly as a middle-aged adult with responsibilities, but you can capture some of it. Um, yeah. And if you have a week where you do something different, all of a sudden it's not just another week. It is the week when we went to that new state park that we've never been to and climbed up that mountain and you know we all had donuts at the top um this is the week where i went and saw that sculpture garden um you know that's 15 minutes away and i took a long lunch break and went and walked around it for 30 minutes and came home and came back to the office afterwards you know these are these little things and they just make life more memorable and they make time feel less like this you know slick linoleum floor that we're sliding along into death. It's just a little bit more rich and full um, and, and makes us feel like life is really happening. Yeah, and a whole lot less depressing as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. Hey friends, sorry to interrupt, but this concludes part one of my conversation with Laura Vanderkamp. We'll pick up the conversation right where we left off in episode 214. You'll find that episode right after this one, and it should pop up automatically if you're following or subscribed to She Said, She Said podcast, wherever you're listening to podcasts. 
In the meantime, if this is all the time you have to spend with me today, thanks for joining me. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback on this or any of our She Said, She Said podcast episodes. So please be sure to hop on and leave a review wherever you're listening, or you can go to my website at she said, she said podcast.com and share your thoughts on the contact me form there. Also on the website, that is the best place to find the links that Laura and I mentioned in this episode. You'll find links to Laura's book, to her free downloadable time management spreadsheet, a full transcript of this episode, and a few other things. Again, the best place to find the show notes is on my website at she said, she said podcast.com. Friend, thanks again for joining me today. I hope you found this investment in yourself worthwhile. Until next week, you take care and I'll talk to you soon. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.